the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was several years ago that there was a caller to the program around Easter time who identified themselves as a Christian since childhood, regular churchgoer, love the Lord, tithe regularly. But as we were talking during the Easter season about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the caller went on to say that they didn't think that it was really that big of a deal, that it didn't matter if Christ's resurrection was literal or or a figurative one. That conversation demonstrated to me that there are those within the body of believers who identify as Christians that are, well, from weak on the fundamentals to utterly failing to understand, grasp, and embrace even what is foundational to our faith. The extreme ineffectiveness, perhaps, of the gospel because of either biblical illiteracy or the unwillingness to outright acknowledge that we are in conflict, that we as Christians who believe in what the Bible teaches about not just the identity of Christ, but the role that he plays on the world stage of providing that substitutionary sacrifice through and by which we might be, through faith and grace, reconciled unto the very Creator himself. Today we spend some time talking about that conflict that we seem in some cases to be avoiding as we're joined by best-selling author, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, speaker on the broadcast Pathway to Victory, and of course uh, his latest book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. And Dr. Robert Jeffress, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me, Craig. Let's talk about this sense of conflict. Certainly, as we look at the world stage today, uh, we are in conflict, and particularly from the position of biblical Christianity, uh, we see there are two fundamental opposing views. There is biblical Christianity on one hand and the rest of the world. Sadly, though, there are many people, and a growing number, particularly in uh, Western Christianity, that seem to rather than recognize the conflict, it's almost as if we're choosing to eliminate it. Well, that's right. And the one statistic, Craig, that was behind my writing this book was the fact that 57% of evangelical Christians say there's more than one way to God other than faith in Jesus Christ, in spite of the fact that Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that is just astounding that Christians are waffling and wavering on the most foundational belief of historic Christianity. And you know, the truth is, Craig, if we give up this belief, we might as well close our church doors. I mean, if there are many ways to heaven, I mean, the death of Jesus Christ was a horrendous mistake. I mean, why did he 
suffer not just the physical agony, but the spiritual agony on the cross of bearing the sins of the world, if indeed all roads end up to heaven anyway. And uh, I just find that so many Christians are waffling on this issue that I wrote this book in order to, first of all, ground Christians so that they can reclaim this foundational truth, but also know how to share it in a compassionate, yes, but a compelling way with other people. From your perspective and viewpoint, Dr. Jeffers, how do we reconcile this? I mean, better than 50% of evangelical Christians that do not fundamentally have a grasp on the foundation of our faith. I understand that, you know, American, we must certainly embrace our pluralism from a constitutional liberty view. I get that. But Christians can't be embracing this pluralism from a theological view. I mean, to do so at the core is an anathema. Well, it is. And look, I think what's happened here is we've allowed the world to browbeat us into believing that to tell people that Buddhism is wrong and Islam is wrong and Hinduism is wrong, that that's hateful and intolerant, and nobody wants to be uh, accused of that. But really, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, the most loving thing we can do is share that with somebody. I was on a plane not long ago, and I was seated next to a guy, and he found out I was a Christian pastor, and he said, you know, I used to be a Christian but I gave it up. And I said, well, why did you give it up? He said, I could no longer worship a God who was so intolerant as to say there was only one way to worship him. So I said to him, just imagine this airplane were to crash. The cabin started filling up with smoke. The flight attendant stood at the front of the plane, waving a flashlight, saying, follow me. There's one way out of this burning airplane. Would you accuse her of being intolerant or hateful because she insisted there was only one way out? Of course not. You would thank her, and you would follow her. And, and that's what we've got to do, Craig, is realize that this message is not a message of hate. It's a message of love. If we hated Muslims and, and Buddhists and Hindus, we would keep our mouths shut. But this truth that Christ is the way to heaven was meant not to keep people out of heaven, but to invite them in. Part of the issue here, too, Dr. Jeffers, perhaps a, a, a stigma that is infecting certainly American culture, if not Western culture overall, this notion that somehow it's more important to be liked than be truthful about God's Word. I mean, there is a, perhaps a bit of an inconvenience to that passage in John 14, where Christ declares that he is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And of course, if we speak that truth in that fashion, uh, we're not always going to be necessarily the most popular person at the party. No, we're not. But again, if a fireman's trying to lead you out of a house that's on fire, do you really care, you know, <laughs> what kind of tone he uses when he says, follow me? <laughs> I mean, you want to get out. I think the bottom line, what it comes back to is, Craig, many Christians really don't believe what Jesus said. They really believe that there's more than one way to God. And I don't think they've thought through the implications of this. Look, if Jesus was wrong when he said, no man comes to the Father but by me, and really all roads do lead to heaven— he was wrong because either he was lying, he knew what he was saying was untrue, or he was mistaken, he didn't know what he was talking about, and therefore was not omniscient. Either way, if Jesus was wrong, he's not the Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, then when he died on the cross, he died for his sins, not for our sins, and that means you and I are still left in our sins. What I'm saying is Christianity, the whole faith, unravels like a cheap sweater if Jesus was wrong on this signal issue. It's almost as if we don't want to accept uh, the exclusivity of Christianity because we're afraid that perhaps someone won't believe as we do and therefore be left out. And we don't want to be mean toward people. It's almost as if we don't, we don't understand the dynamic of the fact that it's 
God's creation, he gets to set the rules, and and even this notion deeper in terms of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God, it seems like there's a a fundamental disconnect there. Oh, there is. You know, my friend David Jeremiah did the blurb on the cover of the book, and he tells a great story I recount in the book. You know, he said one day after a Sunday sermon, a woman came up to him, just irate, and she said, Dr. Jeremiah, I want you to know the God I serve, the God I serve, would not send people to hell for simply not believing in Jesus. And David surprised her by saying, you're right. The God you serve wouldn't do that because the God you serve is an imaginary God. And that's what's happened. You know, somebody said uh, God created man in his own image, and ever since that time, man has tried to return the favor. (laughs) I mean, most of us have created the God we wish existed rather than worshiping the God who actually exists. And when you look at the God of the Bible, the real Bible, he's holy, we're not. There's a chasm between us, and Christ is not just one way. He's the only way to bridge that, cap, cap, uh, that, uh, that great divide, that chasm. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus fell down and cried out to the Heavenly Father, Father, if there is any way, any other way, let this experience pass by me. But there was no other way. That's why heaven was silent. Jesus' death on the cross was the only way to bridge that chasm between God and man. We would like to serve a tolerant God, but forget that we actually serve a God who is a just God. That's right. And, you know, God is just and God is loving. God's justice demands that a payment be made for our sin. God's love provides that he made the payment himself. And really, the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection of God's justice and his love. There is this obsession that America seems to have with tolerance these days, and I want to talk a bit about that when we come back after a brief break. If you've just joined the conversation, our visit today with pastor, radio speaker, and best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress. His new book, perhaps one of the most critical ones and certainly most foundational of a topic through the fundamental historical Christian faith. Not all roads lead to heaven. Dr. Robert Jeffress, our guest. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Special guest on today's edition of Lifeline, we're visiting with senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory broadcast, best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. I'm curious about part of this issue here, Dr. Jeffress, if where we're, we're, we're failing at this point is that we've perhaps laid a lot of our faith at the so-called altar of tolerance, this notion that, well, if God is really a loving God, surely he will accept us so long as we are sincere in our effort to reach him, whether we call God Allah, Yahweh, or Maitreya. Well, that's right. And by the way, that's one of the objections that I deal with in this book. You know, I wrote this book, Craig, so that people could reclaim this belief that Christ is the only way to heaven. And I, you know, answer seven of the major objections to that belief. The one you just raised, well, you know, people simply call God by a different name. Or the objection, well, what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? Isn't it unfair that God would send them to hell for rejecting of Jesus they never heard of? Or what happens to infants and small children who are too young to trust in Christ? First Peter 3.15 says we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. 
But uh, let's take that question you just raised about, well, you know, what about tolerance, or what about people who just call God by another name? Well, you know, names <clears throat> mean something. Allah of the Quran is not Jehovah God of the Bible. Allah is an imaginary God. Jehovah is a real God. Allah has no sons. Jehovah has one son who died on the cross for our sins. Allah says the land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Ishmael. Jehovah God, the real Bible, says the God that Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not the same gods. And I illustrated that to my congregation, Greg, uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking about David Jeremiah. I said to my congregation, just suppose for several weeks we announced that Dr. Jeremiah was going to be the guest preacher at our church. And everybody packed in on a particular Sunday to hear David Jeremiah. But instead, I stood up and preached. And after the service, a few of you came up to me and trying to mask your disappointment said, well, wait a minute, is Dr. Jeremiah sick today? Oh, no, not that I know what I said. What the bulletin says, he's going to preach here. It says right here, David Jeremiah. I said, oh, well, David Jeremiah is just another name I go by sometimes. Sometimes I use David Jeremiah, sometimes Joel Olstein, sometimes Al Sharpton, but we're all preachers. We're all the same. Well, that's ridiculous. Names represent something. And the Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. First John 5.13 says, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might have eternal life. Now, part of this is not only a, a complete disconnect from the fundamental teachings of our faith, but perhaps some, some extreme intellectual dishonesty, too. I mean, isn't this partly born out of this notion that somehow it, it, it's possible to have multiple truths all yeah, be valid yeah. simultaneously? Boy, you hit the nail on the head with that. In fact, that's one of the things I talk about in Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. You know, there's what we call absolute truth. And then there's relative truth. Both are real phenomenon. There's absolute truth and relative truth. For example, if I ask you, what temperature does water freeze at? Well, the answer is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not 35 degrees. It's not 16. It's 32 degrees is the freezing temperature of water. But if I were to ask you, what's a comfortable room temperature? Well, that's relative truth. For some people, it's 72. For some people, it's 68. For some people, it's 55. When it comes to the question, how can a person have a right relationship with God, the world today thinks that's a relative truth. It's a matter of whatever you think it is. But God says, no, there's an absolute answer to that question. There is only one way to me, and it's through my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a new concept. I show in the book, I have a chapter called The Old Way Was One Way, showing how from the very beginning of the Old Testament, God always required an exclusive way to worship Him. I wonder if we come back full circle that this also doesn't reveal a fundamental um, inaccuracy or misunderstanding of everything from the nature of God to the nature of mankind, the notion of God's demand for sacrifice for the remission of sin, uh, and that there, there's a disconnect here so that all of a sudden we get very, well, I was going to say sloppy grace, it's almost non-existent grace, because we're trying to define the terms of engagement with God based on our terms as opposed to His terms. Another great point. You know, the problem, the reason we embrace this uh, uh, inclusivism and reject exclusivity, 
is because of two things. First of all, we think too little of God, and secondly, we think too high of ourselves. Uh, you know, we think, well, we're able to overlook sin in other people. Why can't God be as tolerant as we are? I mean, every day we overlook sin in others, we overlook sin in ourselves. But the fact that we do that is not a sign of our uh, how much we are like God. It's a sign of how much we are unlike God. You know, the word uh, holy means a cut above, separate, distinct. God is called holy. He is different than we are. He said through Habakkuk the prophet, mine eyes are too pure to uh, see evil. God cannot tolerate evil like we are. He is holy. We're not. And we overestimate our own goodness as well. You know, we tend to judge ourselves based on other people. We find somebody who's worse than we are and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, the drug dealer, the child molester. I must be pretty good. But that's not the standard God uses. You know, I remind people that the geographical distance between the North Pole and the South Pole is considerable. But it's also negligible when compared to the distance between the North Pole and the farthest star in the universe. It's the same way with us. The difference between human beings seems to be a great deal. You know, the difference between Hitler and Walt Disney seems to be a lot of difference in, in, in morality. But in God's eyes, the difference between Walt Disney and Adolf Hitler is negligible compared to the difference between Walt Disney and you and me and God, who is absolutely perfect. And only Jesus Christ can bridge that gap between God and man. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all must make a payment for our sins or allow God to make that payment for us. So a fundamental misunderstanding of not only the character of God, but who we are in relationship to God's character, and then at the other extreme, and that is perhaps a fundamental denial of Satan and his efforts at not only watering down the gospel, but the outright perversion of that message. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, the Bible says to avoid the way of Cain in Jude verse 11. The way of Cain describes Cain's... uh, the decision that he would try to approach God on his own terms rather than God's terms. And every other world religion, Craig, is really a a deviation uh, or a derivation of the way of Cain, man's attempt to approach God in his own way. And, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan appears as an angel of light to deceive people. And other religions are really tools of Satan to lead people away from God. You know, when he says an angel of light, he appears sometimes as, isn't it interesting that Muhammad uh, claims that he received an angelic revelation of Islam and that Joseph Smith uh, claims that an angel delivered to him the teaching of Mormonism? I have no doubt an angel appeared to both men, but it wasn't an angel from God. And uh, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 11, we should not be surprised that Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Many world religions, uh, many uh, groups, uh, I mean, they, they sound good, they look good, they sound like they're teaching great moral principles, but they are leading people away from the only way to God, which is faith in Christ alone. Well, at the core, too, not only is it the sense of, you know, all roads lead to heaven, biblically ignorant, it shows that we're, we're theologically dishonest here. You make a beautiful illustration inside of your book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, this idea that somehow I can get on any highway and wind up at First Baptist Church in Dallas. Now, I guarantee you, if I took off here and got on 101 here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it could lead me to San Diego. 
Diego and eventually to Mexico, and I could make my way all the way up through the Oregon coast and eventually wind up in Canada. But no matter what direction I go on Highway 101, here's what I can guarantee you. It will not lead me to First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. That's right. And, you know, let's say, let's keep that analogy. Let's say that... Uh, all, that, that in fact, all roads do lead to heaven. Well, that means Christianity is wrong. Uh, if, Christi- if, if Jesus is wrong about this, then you put your faith in the wrong person. Christianity is not the way to heaven if Jesus was wrong about this. But then here's the question. Which of the other thousands of ways to God do you choose? Uh, and, and, and what really confuses the matter is most all of other religions claim to be exclusive as well. So, I mean, you're left with not knowing how to get there if Christianity is wrong. And the fact is, I mean, all different religions are not different roads that lead up the same mountain of truth. Jesus said there's only one way to him. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Best-selling author Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. By the way, the new book recently published by Baker Books, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Dr. Jeffress's website associated with the broadcast Pathway to Victory. Simply go to ptv.org. That's ptv.org. In your book, Dr. Jeffress, you walk through four, I think, very fundamental and yet critical definitions that I think will help the average reader better understand um, not only the slippery slope that, that leads to some of this very sloppy and dangerous theology, but also the importance of, of defining the differences between some of these fundamental worldviews. Walk us through, if you would, brief, briefly, some definitions on universalism, pluralism, inclusivism, and exclusivism. Well, I don't want to get lost in the <laughs> theological weeds in the few minutes that we have, but let me just basically say, you know, universalism is the belief that uh, everybody is going to heaven regardless of what they believe or don't believe. Pluralism kind of limits it to what needs to be religious people, but it really doesn't matter uh, what uh, religious people, uh, what religion it is, that people are saved by the death of Jesus Christ, whether they know his name or not. And that's the point that I want to make, because one of the key questions, Craig, is, well, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? The pluralists would say, that's really no problem, that they are welcomed into heaven anyway. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot find one example in the New Testament of anyone uh, being saved apart from a personal faith in Jesus. Of course, the objection is, well, what about those who have never heard? Isn't it patently unfair for God to send people to hell who've never heard about Jesus? And here's the answer I give in the chapter devoted to this. Romans 1 says, everyone, by looking at creation, can know that there is a God. And although an acceptance of the, uh, the existence of God is not enough to save a person, it is enough if rejected to condemn a person. You know, we used to talk about the heathen in Africa, as if all the heathen congregated in Africa. I'm not sure that's why that was, but let's, let's talk about a 12-year-old girl who lives in Syria. She's never heard about Jesus, never seen a Bible. How is she saved? Well, she can look into the heavens and know she didn't create this world. That can't save her. But if she responds to the light God gives her, 
I think the Bible is clear that God will send to that girl the light she needs to trust in Jesus as her Savior. I mean, he did that for the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Here was a guy who wanted to know God. He's in his chariot reading Isaiah, can't make heads or tails of it. God miraculously sends uh, the evangelist Philip with the message of the gospel. Or think about the Roman centurion, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He was a lover of God, prayed regularly, gave his money to the poor. By most people's standards, that should be enough to go to heaven, but not by God's standard. He needed to hear Jesus, and so God miraculously sends Peter to preach to him the gospel. What I'm saying is, whenever God sees a heart that really wants to know him, you can know for sure that God is going to get the information about Jesus that person needs to be saved. And certainly if God is capable of sending his only son to be born of a virgin, to suffer, die, rise again on the third day, if God is capable of doing all of that, he is certainly capable of individually revealing himself to persons who are perhaps beyond the reach of the church or not having uh, ever been exposed to the gospel in the fashion and form in which we would understand it. Well, that's right, and I don't think it's any accident that missionaries go where they go. I don't think it's any accident that the radio signals and television signals and the Internet literally reach around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we make of some of these individuals? And there are big names that come to mind, including the one big one that's down in your home state that <laughs> would look seriously at the television screen and say, well, now when it comes to this matter of uh, does this mean that someone, for example, who is... Um, Jewish is necessarily going to hell. How do we deal with this exclusivity, the notion that salvation is limited to those who exercise faith in Christ and Christ alone? And of course, we've heard these answers. You articulate one in the book that's sort of this, well, I'm not sure, don't know, not up to me to judge. How do we give an answer for that from a biblical perspective? Well, and we've all seen people wilt under the television lights and basically, you know, break out in a sweat, stutter and stammer and basically say, I don't know, I don't know. We have to leave that up to God. Well, problem with that is God has already made his judgment about that, and he's articulated it in the scripture, and we need to be bold and compassionate and share that message with other people as well to save them from hell. You know, when people uh, accuse me of being anti-Semitic, I've been accused of that because I insist that Jews, like everybody else, must trust in Christ to be saved. That's not anti-Semitic. Jesus is the one who said it. Last time I checked, he was a Jew. The Apostle Peter was a Jew who said it. Acts 4.12, there is no salvation except by the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the Jew of the Jews, and yet he gave his entire life to preaching that there is no salvation apart from the name of Jesus. So when you have the three most prominent Jews of the New Testament saying you have to believe in Jesus, well, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. Early on in the book, you talk about this notion that uh, part of this slippery slope has been the fact that largely we as evangelical Christians on this very topic have been outmarketed, outmaneuvered, outfought, and outargued. How do we come back full circle? How do we redeem this to bring it back, back to this fundamental teaching that narrow, as the Scripture tells us, narrow is the gate? Well, you know, the fact is, I, I think the fact that 57% of evangelicals believe there's more than one way to God, I mean, it really is a reflection on what's being taught and not being taught in the pulpits today. I mean, as I, you mentioned, several major pastors who are waffling on this issue. My old professor at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say, whatever is a mist in the pulpit becomes a fog in the pew. 
And I think a lot of people in the pew are foggy about this issue because they're not hearing it taught from pastors who want to be loving and kind and don't want to run anybody off and so forth. And they are neglecting their role to be prophets and evangelists teaching the Word of God. And Craig, let me just say in the closing moments, that's why I wrote Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, to equip Christians to reclaim this truth, and I encourage Christians to get it and read it for themselves, but also be ready to share that answer. You know, most people, if their child or grandchild asks them, well, do you believe a, a, a Muslim is going to hell? How could you say that? They wouldn't know what to say. Or if they were asked, well, what about children and infants who are too young to trust in Christ? They couldn't give any reason why they believe they're in heaven. All of those things I cover in my book. And as we enter this Easter season especially, as people are more open to Jesus, maybe some of our listeners know people who follow other faiths. They've never known how to approach them without offending them. Here's a great idea. Get a copy of Not All Roads Lead to Heaven and just give it to them as a gift, saying, I'd like to share with you why my faith is so important to me. I'll guarantee you this title, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, will grab their attention immediately, and it may be a great conversation starter. Are we as the church, as we kind of conclude our conversation together, Dr. Jeffress, are we as as the church at at a very critical point? Crossroads, because it, it, it occurs to me that this is a this is as as they say sometimes the deal breaker. Yeah. Uh, that, that if we as the church do not fundamentally understand, if we're not capable of of giving an answer for the hope that lies within, as Scripture exhorts us, if we do not understand the necessity of atonement, or if we somehow uh, recoil against this notion of, of spilt blood, atonement for sin, uh, appeasement, uh, propitiation, things of this sort, if 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 we find all of that very uncomfortable and we are therefore not able to effectively communicate the faith that we supposedly live and believe in, it would seem to me that, that, that absent that, that the church becomes horrifically neutered. It does. And look, you know, you made an allusion to this. We lost the gay marriage battle because we were outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on the issue. And, you know, marriage is a very important issue, but it pales in comparison to this issue. This issue is the foundation of the Christian faith. How can a person be reconciled with God? And if we allow ourselves to be outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on this, really, we need to shut the doors of our church and uh, keep our money for ourselves, forget about evangelism and missions. We don't have a message to share with anyone if everyone's going to be in heaven anyway. A sobering message that comes from the very heart of God himself. Don't believe me? Read the scripture. And you can work through a better understanding of this topic, not only for yourself, but in sharing your faith with others, as Dr. Robert Jeffers so aptly points out. The book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, Sharing an Exclusive Jesus in an Inclusive World. Newly published, as we mentioned earlier, by Baker Books. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as ordering it online through the Pathway to Victory website at ptv.org. That's ptv. Org. And our thanks, as always, to Dr. Robert Jeffress, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory. This report is paid for by HHS's Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA. Recar crash in Mill Valley, northbound 101. It's right before Tiburon Boulevard, East Blythedale. That's over on the right-hand shoulder already. In Walnut Creek, a stall, northbound 680, right at Red Gear Road. That vehicle in the center divide and just simply out of gas. Stop and go traffic in San Francisco, northbound 101, Cesar Chavez to the 8101 split. And then traffic at a stop once you get on the Skyway from the 101 split out to about the center Anchorage. Westbound 80 slow from the incline to 101. 
In Livermore, stop and go eastbound 580 between 1st Street and the Stonecut Overcrossing. That's traffic. I'm Michael Bennett. When it comes to matching organs for transplant, everyone can help. Did you know that people of different ethnicities can donate to each other? Get the facts about organ, eye, and tissue donation at organdonor.gov. This message is brought to you by HHS's Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA. Hi, this is Vanessa Russell with Love Never Fails. Every Saturday at 3 p.m., we educate you on human trafficking, and we need your financial support. You can help transform and save lives for as little as $1 a month. Sign up online at loveneverfailsus.com and be one of the million ways we solve human trafficking. $1 a month can provide paid internships, thousands of rescues, and housing for survivors and their children. Be one of the million ways to fight human trafficking. Sign up today at loveneverfailsus.com. Hi, my name is Ryan Bourne. And I'm Danica Bourne. And And we're we're the the owners owners of South Coast Coast Tax. We would like to thank our Lord for protecting us from evil. Psalm 91 states, He is my refuge and my fortress, for He will rescue us from every trap and protect us from deadly disease. South Coast Tax are Christian-based tax accountants and attorneys who specialize in releasing bank levies, wage garnishments, and filing complex tax returns. We are the leaders in acceptance of offers and compromise with awesome results. We are also a small firm who will treat you like family and not just a number. Call us today at 1-800-TAX-1176 for a free consultation, and we'll take the time to explain all the programs that you qualify for in order to allow you a fresh start. In John 8.36, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed, and one way we can achieve that is by being debt-free. So let us help you today. Call us at 1-800-TAX-1176, and together we can help achieve this goal by putting the IRS tax debt behind you for good. Again, that number is 1-800-TAX-1176. It's always wise to have an expert on your side, especially for big financial decisions like choosing the very best real estate advisor to help you sell your Bay Area home for the most money. That's why I recommend you call Bob and Sandy Jameson, the Jameson team with Tuscana Properties. Selling your Bay Area or Silicon Valley home is a big deal. Get to know Bob and Sandy. They're experts, uniquely qualified to help you in this real estate market with their experience, their buyers in waiting program, and their guarantees. Let Bob and Sandy show you how they pre-market your home and provide you with upfront written guarantees. This is how they create higher demand and more bottom line profit for you. It's worth the call. And as you know, the market is changing. Bob and Sandy Jameson have different programs and solutions to help you sell fast and for the most money. Call 510-937-SOLD. That's 510-937-SOLD. Or visit SandyHasBuyers.com. That's SandyHasBuyers.com. And be sure to tell them Mike Gallagher sent you. If you're drowning in IRS debt and can't afford to pay, then you need to take advantage of special IRS tax programs that are available and free yourself from IRS collection efforts once and for all. Due to the financial hardship consumers are facing throughout the country, the Internal Revenue Service has made it easier to settle delinquent tax problems. An open phone line has been established by Community Tax for consumers to call and see if they qualify. Take down this number or store it in your cell phone, but call the Community Tax Helpline at 800-500-5588. If you owe back taxes, to the IRS and cannot afford to pay them back, or even if you have years of unfiled tax returns, there's no need to fear anymore. But you have to call the Community Tax Helpline today at 800-500-5588 for the help that you need. Don't take on the IRS alone. They can attack your wages, savings, pension, home, and even your Social Security check. Call 800-500-5588 for your free consultation and to see if you qualify. That's 800-500-5588. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
the National Defense Authorization Act. The bill gives the president the authority to indefinitely imprison American citizens without a court hearing, both domestically and abroad, bringing the battlefield to the homeland, all in the name of anti-terrorism. Is it ultimately perhaps anti-constitutional? Not just unconstitutional, but anti-constitutional? With some insights on this story and what appears to be a significant degree to which our rights as Americans are eroding, we're joined now by Fox News Senior Judicial Analyst, Judge Andrew Napolitano. He has a new book out entitled, Is It Dangerous to Be Right When the Government is Wrong? The Case for Personal Freedom. And Judge Napolitano, as always, great to have you on the program. Oh, nice to be with you, Craig. Thanks for having me. Your reaction to this story, you know, we've been hearing so much about uh, concerns over trying to deal with the apparent attacks on American soil by al-Qaeda, as if somehow that the combined forces of the FBI, the ATF, the Judicial Department, on and on the list goes, are not significant enough to deal with terrorism. Now we're working toward passing bills that literally, as I say in the opinion of some, would bring the battlefield to U.S. soil. And that's the ability to arrest people without charge and incarcerate them without end and keep them from a lawyer and loved ones and visitors and, most importantly, from a judge and a jury who could possibly feel safer that way. But that's what was concocted by the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee at secret closed-door hearings while we were eating turkey and watching football Thanksgiving week. They suddenly uh, sprung this on us on the Monday after Thanksgiving and with a minimal debate on the floor of the Senate that would allow the president to declare that the United States of America is a battlefield. and That includes all 50 states and all uh, territories and commonwealths and permit him to use the military for domestic law enforcement. Now, the federal government has not used the military for domestic law enforcement in this country since 1876, when uh, it was using it for domestic law enforcement in the South in Reconstruction. And one of the provisions that ended the troops in the South, 1876, is uh, 11 years after the Civil War was over, was legislation prohibiting uh, the military for this purpose at any time in the future. They're not going to use the military to direct traffic. They're going to use the military to pick up people that the president wants picked up. Just as he had Anwar al-Awlaki killed by a drone, the president thinks he can arrest people without charges, without evidence, and lock them up and throw away the key. Now, the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution directly prohibits this and says no one shall suffer loss of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Due process of law means charges a trial, a fair trial, a judge, a jury, a lawyer, and the right to appeal. The president and members of Congress, this is both parties, this is actually instigated by John McCain, a nominal Republican, believe that they have the authority to do this. It's reprehensible. It won't keep us safer. It'll bring us one step closer to a totalitarian government. It's the type of thing I write about in my book. It is dangerous to be right when the government is wrong. But all of this, Judge, part of this bigger picture of the erosion of our constitutional rights, where so much of this, as I suggested in my opening remarks, is not just simply unconstitutional, but but seems to be working against the Constitution, against it, and, and against every form and fashion of what it is that we have held dear in this country and has made this country different from any other nation on earth. That is the notion that the government does not grant rights, but rather the government is a position to protect our God-given rights. Now all of a sudden that's changing. Well, the government acts as if our rights come from it, not from our humanity, because the government continuously behaves as if it can just turn off our rights. It certainly did it with Mr. Al-Awlaki, who notwithstanding uh, his his un-American or, or non-American, I should say, sounding name, was born in New Mexico. 
the president decided on the basis of secret evidence that only he and the people to whose confidence he, he in whose confidence he reposed his trust saw that this person was so dangerous he, and the evidence of his behavior was so overwhelming that a trial wasn't needed. When Abraham Lincoln made that argument during the Civil War, while Southern troops were shooting at Northern uh, soldiers and, and, and invading Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court said, you can't do that. The Constitution exists for everybody in good times and in bad. The government just can't declare a person outside the protection of the Constitution. If that were the case, then the Constitution means nothing. And you, Mr. President, took an oath to uphold it. So that's what we're going through right now, Craig. Uh, I, I don't know what President Obama will do with this. And I don't know who will uh, succeed him, whether the, his successor comes about in January of 2013 or, or four years thereafter. It doesn't matter. The framers didn't trust this kind of power in the hands of any individual. And that's why they gave us these guarantees, these protections. If the Congress thinks that it, it can violate its oath to uphold the Constitution by writing away these guarantees, then we have no freedom then our freedoms are subject to the whims and the fears of Congress. Well, and we live in a day and an age, Judge, as you know, that we've seen even the president insist that if Congress can't get, quote-unquote, the job done, that he will do it for them, as if to suggest that somehow now the executive branch is going to be able to somehow inherit or take on what uniquely had been held as a right of the legislative branch to well, pass he laws. Started, he started a war on his own. Uh, he bombed and killed in Libya while uh, he was in Brazil, and the Congress was on spring break. Did you know the Congress gets a spring break? Well, it does. I thought only college students did. Nevertheless, Congress did nothing to stop him from uh, from doing that. Congress did nothing when he when he killed this uh, American citizen and the guy's 16-year-old son, about whom he admitted he had zero evidence of uh, of criminal uh, behavior or or immediate uh, or immediate danger. Congress did nothing about it. So Congress, which sometimes acts like a potted plant when the president does things that Congress perceives as politically popular, although unconstitutional, or as my friend Craig Roberts says, anti-constitutional, the Congress is just as much to blame for letting the president get away with this as the president is for doing it. You know, there's an important wake-up call here, and, and I want to encourage people, Judge, to get a copy of your new book, Is It Dangerous to Be Right When the Government is Wrong? This notion that, you know, we, we need to decide what do we value more? Do we value safety or freedom? I tell you, I, I remember walking down the streets of Moscow prior to the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I have to tell you, even at 10, 11 o'clock at night in very dark streets, you felt eminently safe. You knew somebody with an iron fist was in charge. And the crime rate in Moscow in the middle of the night was practically nothing under Soviet communism. But you also knew that as safe as you were, you had no freedoms whatsoever. Do we really want to live in that kind of environment where we feel safe but have no freedoms to, no, to exercise no, in that no, safety? Of course. Of course not. Of course we don't. But that's what this government, Republicans and Democrats, is bringing us to. Look, George W. Bush and Barack Obama have frequently argued that their first job is to keep us, keep us safe. They're wrong. Read the Constitution. It tells you what the president's job is. The president's job is to keep us free. If they keep us safe but unfree, they're not doing their job, period. That's what this book argues. Here's the $64,000 question, Judge. If, if Congress is not doing its job, if the president is not doing his job, and we have concerns even about the judicial branch doing theirs, what do we do as American citizens? We have to vote them uh, out of office. Or we have to uh, disobey unjust laws. The courageous people who, who desegregated, segregated lunch counters in the South in the 50s and the 60s broke the law. But those were unjust laws that the legislatures lacked 
the political will to change, and the courts lack the intellectual fortitude to change. But, but civil disobedience changed them. Here's an example of present-day civil disobedience. The Patriot Act lets federal agents write their own search warrants, something else we could talk about. It's blatantly unconstitutional because the Fourth Amendment says only judges can issue search warrants. When they hand you the search warrant, they tell you you can't tell anybody about it or will arrest you for telling anybody. Guess what? A lot of people who've received these self-written search warrants have been telling people, their lawyers, who have been going into court to challenge them. Guess what federal judges have been doing? Invalidating them. So sometimes it's necessary to be courageous in the face of an unjust law and do the right thing, and freedom will prevail. The other thing to do is to vote out of office anybody. Who, who enacts legislation that blatantly, directly, and clearly and profoundly violates the Constitution. Judge Andrew Napolitano, again the new book, Is It Dangerous to be Right When the Government is Wrong? The Case for Personal Freedom. The book newly published by Tom Snelson and available through Judge Napolitano's website at Judge Knapp. That's JudgeNAP.com. As always, Your Honor, appreciate having you on the program. Pleasure, Craig. Thanks for having well, that's me. That's going to do it for now, this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.